Well, hello, everybody. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host today. I am also the owner of the California Haunts uh, Radio. Um, <laughs> okay, let's try this again. Good afternoon. I hope everybody's having a great weekend. I know I I, I know I did. Um, this is our weekly Sunday read where I read from a paranormal themed book. And I do that on TikTok weekly. And I also do it for Facebook, YouTube, TikTok. Uh, Tick, uh, tick, well, TikTok and Twitter and um, and Twitch. So we're going to be reading from a paranormal theme book like we do. And I hope you guys like spooky stories because this is a spooky story. It's called Rain No Evil. And by the way, my name is Charlotte and I am going to be your host for the next hour or so. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means we can help you with your paranormal needs. You know, with what you think might be your, par- your, your your paranormal needs, it might take us a while to get to you because, honest to God, California is a huge state, so it takes a while to get to people. Okay, but we do have um, psychics on staff who can call and help you ahead of us coming out, and a lot of times they can settle the energy and stuff down in the house before we get out there. Just a word of thing for TikTok, and I have to do this for everybody. If you like what you see and you hear, please hit. Please tap that screen for likes. Okay, because we're trying to build up our likes on TikTok. So if you could help me out with that, I'd appreciate it. Just keep tapping the screen, keep tapping the screen. Uh, if you're watching from Facebook today and uh, you like what you see, please be sure to give me a thumbs up, happy face, hearts, whatever you can give me. Because what that does is it moves us up in the uh, mechanical algorithm and, and puts us out there so people can, can hear and see us. I really appreciate it. Also, if you're watching from YouTube, and uh, same thing, if you like what you see and you like what you hear, please be sure to uh, hit those thumbs up and the like buttons and all that good stuff to keep us going up higher and higher in the algorithm. Now, also, if you like what you see today, and this is for Facebook, and you haven't done so already, please feel free to hit the follow button because we're always looking for followers. And, okay, move over here. And the same thing for people on YouTube, if you haven't subscribed to the show already, please be sure to do so. Uh, That'll give you early opportunities to know when these shows are coming up. Okay. All right. TikTok. How you doing, everybody? I cannot read your comments. I'm sorry. Um, I don't have the capability to do this on a huge screen on my computer yet. So you're on my iPhone. So I can't really read your comments, but uh, go ahead and keep commenting. I guess I can check them later. All right. Um, Also, like I said, uh, I'm going to start be starting subscriptions uh, next week for TikTok, and uh, we're going to be doing a lot of other things on TikTok. We're going to be doing psychic readings, telling ghost, you know, real cool ghost stories and stuff. So I think you guys are going to enjoy this channel. I mean, we're still kind of new at this channel. That's why I'm doing the Sunday thing with you guys to get you used to me, and I get used to you, right? So please, if you like what you hear, please be sure to tap that screen. Show, show me some love. Show me some. Show me some hearts, and thank you for the first heart of the day over there from Facebook. Okay, the book we're reading is um, Rain No Evil, and it's written by Michelle Zirkel, and it's based on what happened to her and her family. It's it's based on a true story. We're in Chapter 6 now. This is the third day of re- reading this. We, like I said, we try to read every Sunday, or if our, on my regular radio show, which I have from Sunday through Friday, if, if a guest can't make it in for a particular night, then I might read the book to fill in, you know, for that particular day. But otherwise, we do this every Sunday. And TikTok, as soon as I get the capability to be able to have it, have you on my PC as well as Facebook and YouTube, 
I will do so, and you guys will be able to join into the weekly show, uh, or our nightly show, which features really cool paranormal guests and stuff, okay? So again, this is our Sunday read. Thank you. Keep, please keep tapping that screen. Thank you. I can see the hearts coming up. Keep, keep those hearts coming. I really appreciate it. All right. If you like scary stories, well, we're really getting into the scary parts on this on this book. Get a quick refresh on it because we're on chapter six. Is that now she's noticed and the family's noticed that there's water coming into their house where they thought it was coming in from the attic. But when they went up to investigate the attic, there's no broken pipes or anything. There's just water that's coming into the house. And she also had a dream of what appeared to be a demon one night while she was lying next to her husband in bed. And uh, it's taken off from there. So that's where we're at with it right now. And, uh, okay, let's get on with this. And I'm going to go ahead and start reading Chapter 6. So let me get everything positioned here. Okay, there we go. And boom. This is called Handcuff, wow, Handcuff Party and a Barber. It's Chapter 6. Uh, read No Evil, Chapter 6. The sound of bells ringing startles me awake. I grapple with the blankets, trying to figure out what's creating the racket and wondering if I'm late for for class. Alex groggily mutters, hello, and I realize the home phone is the culprit. I'm beginning to understand the old adage, no rest for the wicked. Let me make sure I can get the positions going. Oops, I went back too far. Uh-oh. Okay, hang on a second. Okay. Okay, I'll give him a call, Alex says, and recites a number. Sounds like this one's domestic. Man's threatening his daughter with a gun. His girlfriend's calling 911 from a neighbor's house. Alex hangs up and repeats 3714, 3714 as he punches the, the eliminated numbers on the phone. It's 3741, I say. Just shut up, he says before answering the phone on the other end. Hello, could I speak to Roger Collins? He pauses. Oh, sorry. Alex slings his legs off the bed and sits up. So what's the number? I should feign amnesia. Then he'll have to call dispatch and get it. Boy, he'd be pissed. You gonna answer me, he says. I tell him the number and bunch the soft quilt under my chin, wondering where the whiff of dowdy is when I need it. If you like what you hear, you guys, and you enjoy me telling stories on Sundays, tap that screen. Show me some love. Tap that. Please keep tapping that screen. Let's see if we can reach 200 likes today, huh? Over on TikTok. Hi, Mr. Collins, Alex asked. This is Sheriff Templeton, Wooten County Sheriff's Department. Can you tell me what's going on out there? I understand. I know you care about your daughter very much. She's probably frightened, and my main concern is that she's okay. Is she okay? Alex is silent, and I hear a man's gruff voice on the other end saying, Darn girl, stole my meds. I need them. My back's killing me. Taze. Alex won't have to go out for this one. Taze will talk him down right from here in bed. His reputation in the area has its advantages. Alex is silent. Whoops, excuse me. There we go. We'll talk to her, Alex says. Put the fear of God in her, but you have to put the gun away and let my deputy in to talk to you. The gruff voice mumbles something, and Alex says, Yes, I know she shouldn't, Roger, but you don't really want to hurt her, do you? Let her go to your neighbors. My deputies are on their way out to talk with you. We all just want to make sure that girl is safe. Now, Roger, you know me. I've helped you out many times, and you've helped me. You need to help me again right now, okay? Alex stumbles into the bathroom, and I... 
Excuse me, and I hear his P stream hitting the comma while he updates the 911 center. I lay in bed snickering silently to think how often my bathroom has been a command post and wondering if the girl has I'm wondering if I have the girl in class. He crawls into bed a few minutes later. Who's the girl? I ask. Collins. Courtney Collins, Alex says. I picture Courtney. Long dark hair pulled back into a ponytail, wearing the grungy pink. I can't wearing the grungy pink Aeropostale hoodie that seems to have melted to her skin. Pretty girl, even with a with a limited and not often laundered wardrobe. Last year, she was on probation for stealing her mom's car, so when her mom kicked her out, she moved in with her dad. Courtney probably sported her home confinement. <laughs> it just didn't want to jump for me. Her home confinement ankle bracelet and provided ample details behind this acquisition, explaining how she had taken it off in the car in retaliation for her mom's cocaine-induced rage, during which she piled Courtney's clothes in the middle of the bed and set them on fire. Courtney's in my class, I say. No wonder she picks her arms till they bleed. Between the drugs Mrs. Z says she's taking and a gun-wielding dad, she doesn't have a chance. Courtney's a little mouthy, but she doesn't usually give me a hard time. Perhaps she relates to my, perhaps she relates to my high school stories, such as setting fire to the toilet paper that was chained to the top of the stall in the restroom. My subtle way of revolting against the principal decision to chain it there. Okay, and on a different day, prank pulling the fire alarm. My students laugh when I tell them I got caught when a friend was with me, and so I went solo. Setting students free from class with another fire alarm the next day. I learned that if I wanted to be discreet, I had to operate on my own. I'm still motivated, the very nature of secrecy. I feel victorious when I get by doing something I shouldn't. But my secrets could cause me to lose Alex. And who would I be with, without him? He's popular and respected in the community. I am just a name on some juvenile school schedule. Just another class to endure. But I have skills I keep hidden in my brain. I have skills I keep hidden. If my brain has rooms, I've dedicated the one in the upper corner of the art to the art of being who I need to be in any given moment, never letting the real me descend the stairs to enjoy the ball. This beautiful tapestry room holds my secrets. In a small town like Ridgeland, secrets are challenging to keep. I squirm my forehead deeper into my pillow, knowing I have my share of tightly wrapped ones that could at any moment burst open and expose my inherent badness. Streams of light puncture my eyes, and I wonder if I'm up to another day on Earth's battlefield. I'm in the trenches with more than just Alex as an enemy now. There's a demon and a witch and water. I roll over, cringing as my sword breast smashes against my arm. The image of Ryan on top of me, sweat dribbling off his skin, churns my stomach. I feel better before I scrogged Ryan yesterday. I felt better before I scrogged Ryan yesterday, sorry. And I realized that the enemy within may be the only one worth fighting. But I'm not sure I have strength to stop searching for love behind every set of dreamy eyes. I don't know if the enemy within is just my dark side or an actual demon. I'm afraid if I search for myself, I might see a demon in my mirror again. So rather than face it, I think I'll allow any would-be demon inside to lurk quietly in the expanding darkness of my soul. I look at my clock and over to Alex, his smoothly shaven chest rising and falling. Morning. 
The only time he's vulnerable, peaceful. I nuzzle up next to his back, so strong, and brush my cheek against his clammy skin that smells of morning sweat. I, re I revel in this time alone with him. No talking, no arguments, just being, breathing. The sound of his breath is comforting. But with each exhalation of my heart, I get the feeling this won't be the last. It can't. He'll wake up. Oh, this won't last. I'm sorry. It can't. He'll wake up. I peel back the covers, stand and shake the sleepiness from my arms, tiptoeing across the hall. My toes search for the feel of liquid, but only feel the shellac on the floor. Going to sleep in a drenched house and awakening to a dry one adds an element of intrigue to my morning. Almost as astonishing as me rising before my alarm serenades me. I can't think of a better way to spend my gift of this quiet time than to write. I need to write more often. At least when I write, I can explain myself without Alex interrupting. I shower, throw on my robe, and grab my purple notebook from the nightstand. Hello, okay, come on. Okay, downstairs, I click on the fireplace and settle into my chair as warmth envelopes my bare legs. Blue flames from the fireplace lull me into a dreamy state. Pen and good intentions in hand, I drift back into Ryan's arms, remembering how easy it felt to be unaccountable and irresponsible for a few hours. To have a man's undivided attention and have him listen, or at least pretend to. Perhaps Ryan listens to my view of dysfunctional public education system only because he enjoys messing around with me. Even so, I appreciate that he does so energetically. Alex's ears are numb unless I'm donning a pair of panties that beg for a spanking. His ears would perk right up for that message. Shouldn't someone who really loves me listen to it when I talk? The floorboards upstairs creak and the door closes. Alex is up. A glimmer on the mantle draws my eyes to our silver frame wedding picture. Our smiles seem to cry out to be consumed by the flames illuminating the room. It is my face in the picture, but it feels like I was never really there. We were happy then? I can't remember exactly, but his eyes were kinder. When he looked into mine, I felt he cared, felt as I felt I was accepted and protected. A tear plunks to my tablet, and I swipe the sleeve of my robe across the page and leave a wet streak. I remember my arms on Alex's hand, uh, excuse me, hard shoulder pads, and around his sweaty neck after high school football games. Then later, faint mix of alcohol and Stetson in the air. A light flickering in the back of the gym eliminated shadows of couples making out on the bleachers. My eyes closed, lips on his neck, still damp from showering. We twirled in circles to Madonna's Crazy for You, saving the backseat dance in his red Mustang for the finale. Desire filled his eyes under those Friday night bulbs. He did love me. All right, if you like what you hear, you guys, tap that screen. Keep tapping that screen and show me some love. Trying to build up my likes on, on TikTok, so please keep tapping that screen if you, if you like what you hear. This is what we do every Sunday. We read from a paranormal theme book. Same thing for Facebook and TikTok and, and Twitter and all those other places. Hit those like buttons. Mom, I need a towel, Ben yells, snapping me out of this page. Okay, I say, rising. I'll bring one up. That is, I will if there's a dry one in the whole darn house. I scamper down the stairs, across the cold concrete floor of the basement, and onto the rug in the laundry room. Finding the dryer empty, 
I sift through handfuls of damp towels until I find the driest one. Spritz air freshener on it and deliver the freshest towel in the house to a grateful Ben. No harm done. Knocking on Isaac's door, I call out. Hope you're getting dressed, bud. Not waiting for his response, I turn, open my closet door, and hear the all-too-familiar splat. Alex whizzes out of the bedroom door, wearing only briefs and socks. What the hell? His jaw set firm, shoulders squared, as if he was going to block for Peyton Manning. But he's not sure where his opponent is, so he stands, helpless. His only assailant, the water dripping onto his back. Ben steps from his room. Dad, you know how we got a leak? Why are you so surprised? I did I do not know, Alex says, as I slip into my closet and shut the door. It's just ridiculous, Alex yells, descending the creaky stairs. Savvy, I hope you call the plumber today, if that's not too much to ask. His demanding voice penetrates my closet door, my pounding head. I want to thump him in the head, unleash the fury from inside, but there's so much, if uncorked, would spew like lava, probably burying me in the process. I slide on my shoes and grip the closet doorknob, my knuckles turning white. Maybe if he just hit me. Release the anger he's hoarding from all wounds, those probably caused by his own mother who couldn't or wouldn't hear him, who could heal. I'd gladly be his punching bag if I thought for a minute his love would rise like dough when smashed and needed. It might hurt less than the battering he's doing to my brain. If God doesn't give us more than we can bear, I guess I'm stronger than I thought. I step into the hall, thankful. Oh, sorry, but I step into the hall, thankful Ben is in the room, sparing me the sight of his heartbroken little face. I want to protect him from the hatefulness of Alex's words, from the discord in our family. But the only way to do that is to leave Alex. If I leave, that means I'm giving up and I don't want to be a quitter. I shake my head as if I can dissolve the slightest notion of leaving. And I dry my closet door with a sweatshirt from the dirty clothes basket. Ben joins me in the hall with his damp towel, both of us swiping the walls like human windshield wipers. Wax on, wax off, I say under my breath. Ben recognizes the Karate Kid's mantra. You're going to be a pro with moves like that. but better work on your roundhouse, Mom. I've seen your kicks. Even though I'm out of practice, I can still kick your little butt, little guy. Much-needed laughter resounds in the stairway. I can't remember the last time Alex and I laughed together. Tears fill my eyes, blurring the water trails on the wall. I bark out marching orders. Isaac, Ben, let's get a move on. We're going to be late for school. At school, I skip breakfast duty in the cafeteria, opting for my vacant classroom, where I pop bacon in the microwave and slip a French vanilla cup into the curry before calling Tri-Country Plumbing. They're the best in the area and pricey, but digits aren't important considering that my sanity and quite possibly my family's is at stake. Tri-County is booked for days in advance, a hopeful indicator that they'll have the expertise to get to the bottom of this leak. I schedule a house call for Monday, the soonest one available. As I note the appointment, I realize my desk-sized calendar lacks the colorful mark markup I usually decorate it with this time of year. Like all good teachers, I usually highlight the monumental non-instructional holidays, the ones without students. But this year, it's almost spring break, and I haven't slashed through any of the dates. I bite the eraser on the pencil in my head. Summer means more time spent with Alex, and more time means more arguments. And right now, the thought of that makes me 
wish the water leak could actually wash my house away. We could start fresh in another house, free from the walls that have watched us close in on each other like barracudas, free from the habits that are as ingrained in us as the tile is mortared to the floor. Picturing our house sailing downstream, I remember Keegan mentioning the possibility that condensation from the heat pump could be creating the water leak. So I called the heating and cooling company who installed the heat pump when we moved in. I request a serviceman come to the house and emphasize that the water is forceful and spraying across the room. Excuse me, the receptionist says. Did you mean to call a plumber? The plumbers can't come till Monday, I say. My father-in-law thinks our heat pump could be causing condensation to form on the ceiling. But like I said, the water's spraying, not just dripping. But we don't know where it's coming from. I'd like to get a professional opinion from your company since you installed the heat pump. You mean you can't see the water line it sprang from? Yes, I say, trying to say something that will make sense. I mean, we don't know if it's coming from a water line. Water just shoots across the room from nowhere. Could you hold, please? Sure, I say knowing she must think I'm nuts. After a few minutes, the receptionist says, I radioed a serviceman. He said condensation doesn't spray, but he'll call you. I leave my number and figure the more, pro the more professionals I have to check my house out, the better. So I call the water company. Just getting this leak, leak fixed. Well, okay, just getting this leak fixed will take some of the pressure off the whole family and maybe earn a tad of Alex's respect. After explaining my dilemma to the water company clerk, he explains that if the household's water usage is considerably higher than usual, a leak is indicated. And he schedules a worker to stop by after school and read the meter. I feel like I'm making progress towards a resolution. And a rush of hope pulses through me as Terry bursts into my room. Where have you been, sick? I ask, sorting through a stack of essays. He looks at his mud-covered boots and stammers. M -m -m Mr. Templeton, my mom w -w went nuts again. She said there were teeth in her bra, bra, bra by bed, trying to eat her. I look up from my coffee. Didn't she, d d didn't she go crazy before? Just thought she was a stoner. Terry delivering such a sensitive topic via his marked stutter. Makes me feel even more empathy for him than I usually would. Oh, honey, is she okay now? I say, placing a hand over my heart. Terry slides behind the desk, massaging the bill on his camouflage cap until it looks like it's going to crack right down the middle. Better. But she d d d d d doesn't get to come home right now. He squints from under the fishing pole insignia. The pup put her in that place in Huntington. There's a psychiatric facility in Huntington. I know that place. So what happened? Who took her away? The teary-eyed junior relays how his mom had mixed alcohol and pain pills and started screaming at Terry and the younger brother one minute about how they were no good, no good, rotten, whores, and the next minute begging them to save her from the teeth that were biting her in bed. After flinging in a few plates against the wall like they were frisbees, she ripped pictures from the walls and slammed them to the ground. Terry shielded his brother from the shattering glass and got him out of the house. When he went back inside, his mom was standing on shards of glass, her bleeding bare feet spotting the carpet beneath her as she yanked curtains off the rods. Every time I get close enough to grab her, she'd hiss at me and make her fingers like this, Terry says, bending his fingers to look like claws. She even j -j -j jabbed a piece of glass at me. 
So I got the heck out of there and called the popo. The ambulance came, took her away. The bell rings and I haven't finished eating my bacon, but a little human tragedy is a hunger squelcher anyway. I smile at the poor soul in front of me. Terry, I'm sorry about your mom. Sounds like she's in a good place to get help. Students trickle into the classroom. Terry, I say, we're still reading Shakespeare. I'll get your makeup work ready and give it to you tomorrow. Just what you wanted to do on spring break, right? I want to keep him busy, distract him from his, ma from his maniac mom issue. Could you write the date on the board and maybe pass these out for me? I say, handing him a stack of papers. Sure, he says, grinning from under the cap that he's not supposed to have on according to school policy. But I've got my own inappropriate crutches, and I'm not taking his from him. Not today, anyway. As I turn to grab my textbook, a man with a shaved head and goatee I've never seen before steps through my door. Sir, have you been to the office, I ask, noticing he isn't wearing a visitor's badge? I walk toward the office, call the button on the wall. I'm sorry, I walk toward the, <laughs> just, I walk toward the office, call the button on the wall a few feet from my desk, wondering if this is some nut job on a rampage or simply a lost parent. He sticks his hands into his jean pockets and leans back on the heels of his biker boots. The students bust out laughing. One blurts out, Mrs. Templeton, that's a student. Oh, great. Seriously? Just what I need. A student who looks like he just got out of lockup. Mac glares at me. Earlobes hanging from the weight of what looks like 20-gauge black spikes. Where do you want me? Nowhere. Here, I'm thinking. But I stare down. Uh, but I stare him down silently as he knows I'm putting up with I'm not putting up with any other crap. I'm sure he plans on aiming my way. I climb onto my stool so I'll be at least as tall as he is. Any empty desk for now. I'll assign a seat to you should I need to. I say, noticing a skull tattoo on his defined bicep. So, Matt, right? Did you just move here? Matt high-fives a few of the boys and plunks down on the farthest desk in the back, which is just fine by me. No, just transferred from Beaumont High. Oh, what's your last name? Boggs. Matt Boggs. Sounds familiar, but I can't place it right now. All right. Reunion's over, everyone. Get started on your bell ringer. I explain our, our warm-up routine to Matt, pointing out the shelf of supplies by the door, loose-leaf paper and pencils. No excuses for failure here. There's a levy in this county that pays for all the paper and pencils that students can consume. That, that is use, lose, or break. I tell Matt he doesn't have to do the 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 mile, mile homonym review that's on the board. Oh, I got it. Mall, mall, M-A-U-L, M-A-L-L, review that's on the board. His bell ringer today is to write a paragraph about where he sees himself in five years. That should make an interesting read. I slid into the chair at my desk and sit staring at the tropical island backdrop on my computer screen, wondering if I'll soon join Terry's mom in the lockup world. We could be bunk buddies, tearing up Jack together like Thelma and Louise. If water sprayed on me there, I could just send a, I could just stand there, chin up, chest out, and allow it to soak me all to the bone. I'd fit right in. While I'm entering the attendance on the computer, Matt walks up to my desk and pulls his pant leg up to where a black band wraps his ankle and announces, I'm on probation. If he's expecting to shock me, he's mistaken. You ought to be writing, I say. Matt yanks his pant leg down. There's no pencils. Courtney smiles at me. 
Someone's eating them again, Mrs. Templeton. If Matt wasn't here, I'd laugh. But he can't see the easy-going side of me yet. He has to respect me first. Courtney, I know I've joked about them being eaten, but I say surprised to see Courtney here after all the domestic call from her father last night. Seriously, class, I find pencils scattered all over the school, in the hallways, on the bathroom sinks, cafeteria tables, even stuck in potted plants in the office. I snatch a pencil from my desk and hold it high, realizing I'm, I'm more angry at the indulgent educational system for providing the abundance of supplies than I am at the students' lackadaisical disposal of them. Some students, I continue, don't value things that are given to them. Guess they think, oh, it's just a pencil. But people, taxpayers, like your parents and grandparents, are paying for all the broken pencils lining the lockers here. Brandon yells out, hey, Matt, you on day report for the drug deal with Parker? I'm curious, so I give Matt the opportunity to answer before I, before I scold Brandon. Mom, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's one of those days, I'm way ahead on this. Matt, who was still standing a foot from me, grins. Sure am. It was a badass bust. This dude is straight out of the outsiders. I hand him the pencil, and in my most treachery, in my most teacherly voice say, That is quite enough entertainment, Mr. Boggs. Have a seat. I look directly into the eyes of, of this dirt ball and point to his desk. Now. Matt complies, and the rest of the class buries their heads in their books. They know when the line between casual and inappropriate is crossed with me. No need to call out Brandon now. This new kid's permitted to attend school with an ankle bracelet. Ridiculous. I'm supposed to entice this druggy criminal kid to want to learn English. Impossible. Betty has the most interesting resume of all the students, though. Five minutes later, the class and I joined the fairies in my favorite scene of Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream as Titiana, the fairy queen, announces her undying love for a man wearing a donkey's head who she believes to be an avatar. She has no idea that her husband's servant, Puck, has caused this delusion by placing a magic flower or flower power, okay, by placing magic flower powder in her eyes. I pose a question for discussion. Can people's perceptions of reality be altered by a spell? Most students call hogwash and discuss the topic amongst themselves while I amuse myself. Imagining a spell is creating the illusion I'm experiencing at home. That my own little puck is camping out behind my headboard, just waiting for my eyelids to close so he can dust them with his fairy potion. But I wonder what I would see, because I already look at Alex and see a fool. I actually laugh out loud, and Courtney says, what's funny? Just imagining being put under a spell, I say, surprising myself with honesty. Brandon says, I believe in spells. My aunt has a has, my aunt has a witch book. She keeps dead cats un, under the floorboards of her trailer, and one time she brought one of them back to life. Creepy, I'm telling you. Brandon shudders, and the bell dings ending yet another interesting period. I call Courtney to my desk. She shoves her notebook into a faded book bag and slows up without her flip-flops completely lifting off the tile floor. I know about your dad pulling a gun on you last night, I say. Where did you end up staying? Her brown eyes accentuated by black circles underneath. Tell me wherever it was. She didn't sleep much. I stayed with Nana. I'm staying there all week, probably. Dad had to spend the night in jail. Supposed to be out today. Our caseworker has to talk to us before I can go back home. A ninth grader trudges in the door. I shoo him out and tell him to have everyone wait in the hall. 
I asked Courtney if she's taking the drugs she stole from her dad or if she's selling them. She says she gave them to her boyfriend and he sold them. He's a 20-year-old dropout I had in class a year ago. I asked if her mom knows about what happened, and Courtney says she hasn't spoken with her mom for over a year, ever since she took a job on a cruise ship. For a second, I wondered what it would be like to just take off on an extravagant double-decker heading for the Virgin Islands, not stick it out in the trenches like the trooper I am. But thinking of leaving, Alex creates the distinct sensation of my heart being wrung dry. I walk toward the door with Courtney, the cell in my pocket vibrating, and encourage her to stop in, to stop in my room at lunch if she wants to talk. I hand her a note so her next teacher won't mark her tardy, and a group of laughing freshmen crash to the door as the tardy bell rings. I step into the niche between my door and the hall to see if I just missed the re- return call if, if I just missed a return call from the heating and cooling guy. But I see it was Alex calling. Before I can slide the phone back into my pocket, he's calling again, and I answer. From across the hall, Mrs. E raises her eyebrows my way, slides her belly against her door frame, and disappears into her room. Alex asks if I noticed anything unusual about my car this morning. The only thing unusual I would have noticed is its absence from my garage. I allot no spare seconds in the morning to inspect the stationary piece of machinery. No, why, I ask, holding the classroom door open and glaring at the evil eye at and glaring the evil eye at a few boys inside who are pinching each other's boobs. Alex, I have class. Is this important? Important? Hell, I reckon it is. If Bobby Barker setting my cruiser on fire is considered important to you, Alex says. What? Oh my God, I say, turning away from my class. Barber is an ex-con and every evolving criminal, infamous throughout Wooten County. Once during a routine traffic stop, he jabbed a pair of handcuffs through a police officer's cheek. Barbara was incarcerated for a few years for battery on an officer, but was now out among the natives, scavenging the community resources once again. When Alex first joined the force, Barbara, who was a fugitive, wanted for breaking and entering, was scraping around the woods, hiding out in a makeshift cabin located just miles deep behind the home Alex and I built the country. Scouring the area on a four-wheeler one rainy evening, Alex made out a figure in the cabin and hopped off his ride to come face-to-face with Barbara. However, not having met him before and only having seen a faxed image of him, Alex believed him when he claimed he was just a friend of the wanted barber. Alex handcuffed him as a precaution and left him standing outside in the rain while he searched the cabin. When Alex came back outside, old barber was gone, leaving a mud-covered, drenched ATV tire, kicking Barney Fife in the face for his Mayberry minus one pair of handcuffs. Barbara's escaping with Alex's handcuffs quickly penetrated the conversations of every policeman, firefighter, and courthouse worker within a hundred miles, earning him a few sets of brand new plastic handcuffs. One pair of pink fuzzy ones donned a cake, donned a cake. Okay. Humor and sugar, always good combination. I'm now laughing. I'm not laughing now, though Alex tells me that this morning he noticed ashes scattered the concrete by his cruiser that was parked behind the house. Further inspection reveals scorched paint underneath the rear bumper. Maybe I should pay more attention to my surroundings in the morning, including the middle box I drive. The tardy bell rang several minutes ago. I peer into the window of my classroom door, where one boy is standing in the tra- standing in the trash can, standing in the trash can. Alex, hold on a minute. Darn ninth graders! I yank open the door and bark. Bell ringer. It's called a bell ringer because you you work it when the bell rings. Do it now. 
I step back into the niche and peek around the corner to see if Mr. Myers, the principal, is parked at the end of the hall with his coffee cup, but he's not. He's probably walking the treadmill in his office or hiding out in the PRO, Prevention Resource Officer's Closet Size Office. I'm back, I say to Alex. How, how do you know it was Barber? It was Barber. I leaned on a few informants. They ratted him out. They won't sign statements, so I'll have to pin him with something else. But that won't be hard. Sure they won't sign? They're as afraid of Barber as, as they are of you. Why didn't you call me this morning? I've been questioning people all morning, Alex says, trying to find out who tried to set my cruiser on fire right beside my house, trying to keep my family safe, and this is the thanks I get. You complaining because I don't tell you soon enough. Alex, I wasn't complaining. I say softly, wishing I hadn't been so obnoxious. I know he must have had a hectic morning. He worked so hard. Why can't I just be nice, appreciate that protecting us is his way of showing us he loves us? Just, just would have liked to have known earlier, I say. Hold on a sec. I prop open the door with a wedge and announce, This is an emergency call, SSR. Ten minutes. You realize that if I have to call, that if I had a full tank of gas, the cruiser would have blown up near the boys' rooms? I almost stopped and filled up on the way home, but I was too tired. Alex, I know you want to protect us. I'm just shocked. This is a little unnerving. We say goodbye, and I stepped across the hall and asked Mrs. G to check Mrs. Z to check out my class. It's supposed to be reading silently. I need a few minutes by myself to let this barber threat sink in. I head for the restroom, about the only place a person can enjoy a bit of solitude in this rigid environment, where a bell ringing determines your every move. I'm tired of criminals interfering with my life. Alex must be tired too, tired of working the twenty hours a week overtime he gets paid for, and the countless hours he doesn't. If he were an attorney, the volunteer time would be pro bono, considered, phila considered philanthropy. But as a cop, he is expected. If he fails to pander the public, offering advice and assistance at, at the place and time they deem, they deem appropriate, they call, they call him names. Well, I, I think he's a jerk, too. A hard-working jerk who squashes opposition rather than appreciates differences of opinion. But I feel sorry for him. He's in love with a job that has tainted his view of the world, where all he sees are the blooms of fostered ugliness. If you guys like this, please tee up that screen. Please keep tapping. Please send me likes. Show me some love over there on TikTok. Show, show me some love, you guys. Show me some love on TikTok. Same thing for Facebook and, uh, and, and uh, YouTube. Show me some love here, guys. Tap that screen. Keep tapping that screen. I'm trying to get to, try, trying to hit 300 likes today. 300 likes. I remember a different, more sensitive Alex. Before police work. Before hardened criminals hardened his core. He would kiss the kids' noses at bedtime and let them smear shaving cream on his face in the tub. I could see Alex spinning Ben around by his heels and both collapsing into giggling heaps on the floor while Isaac climbs onto his back. What happened to that Alex? I want him back. I want that silly, playful, less masculine Alex back. I just don't know how to find him among the rubble of convoluted conversations and unrealistic expectations. He has fallen and broken like Humpty Dumpty, and I don't know how to put him back together again. Only God, with his special glue, could do that. But it must not be enough for me to ask the Almighty to repair my husband, or Alex would already be intact. Alex must have, must have to ask for his own reconstruction. 
A thought skitters through my mind as I clomp through the hallway. What if Alex has asked God to help him, to restore him to that joyful Alex I fell in love with? That would mean God must have turned a deaf ear, not only to my prayers, but to Alex's too, leaving both of us hopeless and irrefutably broken. And since the God I'm praying to is supposed to be the embodiment of love, he couldn't ignore both of our pleas. I rub my belly trying to squelch the burning sensation. That's the result of a gnawing, hopeless feeling. Unless he doesn't exist. Reaching, oh, sorry. God, this is one of those days for me. Reaching the faculty restroom, I flip off the light and wrap myself tight with a hug as I stare into the darkness. This restroom is my favorite because there are no windows or light seeping in except a silver, except a sliver underneath the door. See, it's one of those days. This is my hideout like my closet and the laundry room at home and the levee and the inside of my man's arms. When I stand here, I can be anywhere. I want to be. My imagination can take flight. And right now, I want to imagine there is a God. There has to be, because the intricacies of the human body alone dictate so. I take a step toward where I know the commode is, and remember, I didn't come here to pee. I escaped my, I escaped my classroom to process Barbara setting Alex's cruiser on fire. Gazing into the beautiful darkness, I thank God for protecting my babies and Alex from Barbara. As I'm thanking God that Alex did not fill his gas tank, I see tiny flashes of light. I blink. But they are still there like mini sparklers. A red one in the corner. White ones towards the ceiling. I close my eyes and tell myself that I'm not going crazy. That it's just my eyes playing tricks on me. But I've been in this same restroom hundreds of times with the lights off and never seen those before. I open my eyes, but the darkness still seems to be twinkling at me. The lights are tiny, like one a laser pointer would create. Suddenly, a blue one sparks right in front of me. I wonder if the lights are spirits or angels. God knows I sure could use more than one angel to keep me out of trouble. Whatever they are, I hope they're harmless. Then a terrifying thought hits me. If they are spirits, one of the lights could be my demon. I jerk open the door and jog back to class, actually relieved to see Mrs. E's constipated-looking human face. At lunch, I return a missed call to the heating and cooling guy who agrees to meet me at the house tomorrow afternoon. Then, in search of information on the box kid, I cruise past the gym and around the corner into the teacher's lounge that smells of stale coffee and warmed-up sauerkraut. The crossword section of the newspaper is under Mr. Friedman's pencil-smudged hand and he holds a folded slice of school pizza in the other. Mrs. Z, who is nuking her lean brand lasagna that doesn't lend the physical results the label implies, informs me that Matt was the student who was expelled last year for taking a gun to the neighboring Beaumont High School. Wonderful. A student who may be packing more than cigarettes. On the way home, I tell the boys they'll have to ride the bus home tomorrow afternoon because I took, off, I, I took it off to meet the heating and cooling tech. I'm waiting for traffic so I can turn to the driveway when a vehicle heading toward me in the oncoming lane snaps on the blinker. I don't really recognize the new SUV Alex now drives. I scan Alex's face for a sign of recognition, for a smile, but he stoically motions me to pull in. For a second, I focus on the imposing uni uniform face and the siren bar sitting atop the vehicle like a beacon of light ready to shroud ready to sound justice through any dark night to save a damsel in distress. 
I'm comforted by how respected he appears, the authority he commands. It makes me feel important too. I'm important enough for him to love me. So why do I feel like the damsel that needs saving? And is Alex the knight for the job? Maybe I need saved for my, to be saved from myself, from the condemnation I fill myself with to the endless hello, questioning of why I'm in this world and why I always feel inadequate. Alex pulls in around back as the town's water department truck pulls in behind me. I jump out of the car in the garage quicker than even the boys do, scampering to reach Alex before he blasts the city worker with questions about why, why they're here. Alex struts from his cruiser, hand resting on his gun belt. What are they doing here? I forgot to tell you, I say. Sorry, it was a crazy day because, because of the leak. I figured it couldn't hurt to see if we're using more water than usual. The city worker waves and Alex tosses his head in the air. Turning to enter the kitchen door, <clears throat> the boy is left open. I stroll through the front yard to where the city worker is hunched over the meter. Usage reads normal, he says. Not consistent with that of a leak unless it's a slow one. He scrunches his nose. You say it's spraying, like shooting across the room? I nod deeply and slowly as if bestowing a sacred knowledge upon him. Sounds like a buildup of pressure that's releasing, he says so confidently. I tend to believe I tend to believe what he said is possible. Better call the plumber, he turns, and hoist him hoist himself into the driver's seat of his truck. They're scheduled for Monday. Thanks for coming. I say stepping toward the house and thinking that Monday is a long three days away. All four of us sit at the dinner table, each boy vying for the dad's attention. Isaac recounting the morning's unwanted shower from our leak and asking if Alex is going to coach his, his bitty league football team this year and Ben inquiring into the murder investigation. I want to ask Alex if Barbara is still out roaming around or if he's behind bars or if he's at the bottom of the river in a concrete boots. But I don't want the boys to know about Barbara trying to blow up their dad's cruiser. Besides, it's refreshing to hear the boys engage in a normal conversation with their dad. At least they're talking politely, taking turns rather than talking over each other. It's a civilized exchange that, I'm, that I imagine to be standard practice in most educated white-collar families. With each comment, the boys' vo voices raise one octave higher while Alex exams spoonfuls of cornbread, sprinkled chili, I'm sorry, crams, losing my mind today, while Alex crams spoonfuls of cornbread sprinkled chili into his already full mouth. If anyone says anything funny right now, I'm going to get a mouthful of the mess in Alex's mouth. I don't even eat beans, and I'm, and I, and I'm dang sure I don't want his leftovers. I'm just about to mention the newest addition to my class, the Boggs Boy, when a splattering of water hits the overhead light, shattering the glass bulbs, resting in their globes, and sending shrapnel on the onto the couch and carpet just inches from my bare feet. I'm not sure who ho I'm not sure who hops at first. Just know a slop of, of chili hits my cheek from Alex's mouth as if I have wished it true. Then Alex runs into the kitchen as if he can outrun our elemental enemy. I must have thought we were being attacked. Attacked. That maybe the that maybe the barber that maybe Barbara had shot out the windows because when I regained my senses, I'm hunkering in the enemy chair next to me wielding a fork in my hand as a shield. I thought the boys' eyes were big when this water thing started, but now their eyes have taken over their whole face as they peer out from the safety of their armpits. Boys, don't move. I don't want you to get cut, I say, tiptoeing around bulb fragments. I suppose being calm in emergencies is a gift, but had I known I'd be in a war zone, I'd have worn my boots. 
I retrieved the broom and dustpan from the closet while Alex moans about a piece of glass in his bleeding foot. I sweep up the biggest fragments and assist the boys stay seated while I vacuum over the area. Glass is sneaky, bouncing into the most inconspicuous corners when broken, just like the guilt tucked in various corners of me. Guilt for being unfaithful. Guilt for not being a wholesome mom whose love is intense enough to hold my family together. Alex is ranting something about, about this darn water. But I've learned that when I add humming to the sound of, of the vacuum, I can block the sound of his voice. I practice that technique in the lovely quiet of my mind until the floor is safe for, for little feet again. Knowing I was diligent in protecting the boys from stepping on glass serves a sensation of satisfaction. What I just did was enough, enough to matter. This is what being a good mom must feel like. It feels saintly and respectable, and I want to feel this way more often. When I turn off the vacuum, I thumbs up the boys who sopped up their second bowl of chili with butter, drenched cornbread. They pound towards the stairs, but I wave them back and tell them to get towels from the kitchen and dry the walls and the couch. Plumber's Monday, right? Alex asks, hobbling toward the table and frowning over his cold bowl of chili. Yep, I say joining him. So how can a water leak upstairs spray down here? Alex stares at me, his cheeks full of cornbread and puckered out like, like a chipmunk's. I glance over to the boys who are toweling up the water and hope Alex doesn't lambast me in front of them. He won't approve of the question. It's irrational. But so is the stupid leak. Thank you, stinker butts, I say as they run off. You know, Sab, for someone so smart, sometimes you ask the most ridiculous questions, Alex says. I sink into the back of the hard chair, wishing I could disappear before his very eyes and, wa and wondering why I'm sitting here listening to his ignorant comments if I'm so, if I'm so smart. He used to think I was smart. He wouldn't have married stupid, even though he, he is stupid. No, he's too smart for that. Obviously, there's more than one leak, he says. Now, can we be serious? We've got more serious stuff to talk about than a nasty water leak, than a measly water leak. I found out from a snitch that just last week, Barbara flashed several pictures of you and the boys to his buddies, threatened to put a good kind of hurting on the bond. I stare at my hubby's mouth that opens and closes like it's filled with molasses. I wonder if that's what I deserve, to be humiliated, raped like a stupid whore I am. You hear me? Alex gulps his sweet tea and sets his jaw. He won't get the chance to get near you. Leaning back against the chair, I stop chewing my salad and allow the joy from his caring words to cuddle with my castrated ego. Tomorrow, I'm meeting with the BCI. They get involved when officers and their families are threatened. Is BCI like the FBI, I managed to bring out? Alex nods. It's state, Bureau of Criminal Investigations. Where'd Barbara get pics of us? Right here. Ben and Isaac passing... Right here. Ben and Isaac passing baseball and you carrying groceries. Alex stares into space, as if he's seeing another world before his eyes. He won't be so brazen after I get a hold of him. I collect the dishes and let the facts settle in. This is real. My family has been threatened. My boys, I'll do anything to protect them. If I can't protect them from the ugliness within these four walls, I can at least protect them from the lion roaring at the gate outside. Will you call me after you talk with BCI? Or at least text me by lunch? Just keep me posted. Alex nods. Progress. Now I just hope my bed is dry enough to crawl into. Chapter 7 
All right. If you like what you hear, people on TikTok, if you like what if you like what you hear, show me some love. Send, keep tapping that screen get, for some hearts. Let me know you like the Sunday read, but keep tapping that screen. Show me some love. Send, send me some hearts. Same thing with uh, Facebook and and YouTube. Okay. Move on to chapter seven now. We hope. Ah, there it is. One amaretto sour, short of crazy. I have perfected my morning routine, honed it to a science. Two minutes too long in any department, the shower, the shower, toilet, or shave, and I'm late. If I'm late, then Ben's late. If Ben's late, the school's automated call-out system informs Alex by phone of the tardy, giving him something else to gripe about. So I'm not late. Even if it means I apply mascara over the bathroom sink at school, just like I did in high school when red heels and jeans were in, and anything Madonna did was cool, especially smoking. This morning is indeed a refined passing off of the only full bath in the house, a melody of ease, from the moment our toes hit the dry floor until Isaac's butts, until Isaac's butts planted on the bus, I'm ready. Ben says, opening the side door as water squirts across the kitchen ceiling. Oh man, Ben says, grabbing a paper towel. I dab my soaked shirt with a dish towel and glance at Ben, who's only been sprinkled. You, I say, you're dry. Hang on a second, leave this. Okay, you're dry compared to me. I toss him the towel. I've got to change. Dry this up, please. After changing my shirt, I gather my hodgepodge of a breakfast. Hunk of dark chocolate, deli meat, and banana nut bread. I can hear Grandma Lenny saying, all things in moderation. After I scarfed down an entire strawberry rhubarb pie one day and barfed all night. But there's nothing moderate about getting drenched while standing in a perfectly sound house. It's as radical as Bill O'Reilly and his no-spin zone. I'm actually looking forward to absconding to work. At least with the little hoodlums, I know what to expect. That is, unless they walk in my room like my new ex-con student, Matt, who looked around like he was casing the joint. It's afternoon before I realize Alex didn't keep his promise about keeping me informed on the Barber BCI project, but I'm not going to pester him. The first 10 minutes of fifth period every Thursday is allotted for bullying prevention at Ridgeland High. Just another prep I don't have time for. I'm already planning for five different classes. So rather than logging onto the website to display the prompt on the smart board, I read along with the bright I'm sorry, I read aloud the prompt for discussion. Suppose you were to walk into the school restroom and see two students known to deal drugs push another student into the corner. One of the bullies says, if you breathe the word of the standing one, I'll cut your tongue out and flush it down there, pointing to the commode. Pointing to the commode. <laughs> what would you do? I'm imagining the response that this will generate when Matt, who could be our antagonist in the scene, and the poster child for the school's anti-bullying campaign, bursts out. If they shoot his, if they shoot him, they wouldn't have to cut his tongue out. Matt, I say, the attention for the language. The question isn't asking what drug dealers should do. The question is, what would you do? I don't do detention, Matt says, squaring his shoulders and leaning, leaning a seat on his hind legs. I point my pencil toward. Okay, okay, I, here we go. I point my pencil towards him and stare at him. You need to leave. Report to IHS, I say. What's that, Matt says with a shrug. In house suspension. The room by the office. 
bitch, Matt yells, standing and heaving his ass towards the back wall where it crashes into a corner of the bookshelf. Piles of books collapse into the floor. The entire class is stone silent and staring at me. I lock my gaze on the ex-con who I'm supposed to teach not only to analyze text and write persuasive essays, but to respect other students. Leave, I say in a gruff voice. That would put Kathleen Turner to shame and push the office call button on the wall behind my desk. When Matt slings his folder across the floor and stomps out the door, I don't bat an eyelash. The secretary's voice booms from the intercom. Yes, Mrs. Templeton. Matt Boggs is on his way to IHS. I say, projecting my answer loudly enough in the speaker in the center of the ceiling. Could you have Mr. Myers head this way and make sure he gets there? The shrill voice responds, will do. The intercom beats and the secretary announces an old call. Mr. Myers, you're needed in the office. If he's in the building, he's likely chatting with the football coach or tucked away with the school's PRO, Prevention Resource Officer Bob, who's probably reviewing hallway video footage for possible culprits in the latest act of vandalism. Rolls of toilet paper shoved shoved into the toilets in the boys' locker room and causing the new gym to flood. Of course, he could be in one of the various meetings, an IEP, Individual Educational Plan, ASAT, Student Assistance Team, a PLC, Professional Learning Community, or an LSIC, Local School Improvement Committee. I often think I deserve another degree for just learning all the educational acronyms. I scribble Matt's remarks under the proper form and send it to the office with Terry, who told me before class his mom's still in the crazy house. Nixing my plans for Shakespeare this period, I managed to corral the discussion to our bully in the bathroom dilemma for the remaining 25 minutes of the period. Before I leave school early to meet the guy for the heating and cooling company, I slip into Ben's science class on the junior high side and navigate to the front where he stands by a sink wearing lab glasses. Make sure to ride the bus home, I whisper. Ben nods without taking his eyes off the beaker in his hand. I don't want to embarrass him, especially since kids have been calling him Big Bird, which I inadvertently started at his birthday party last July when I showed his besties pictures of him as a toddler squeezing his furry yellow bird. But isn't that what friends are for? To irritate and give us false sense of acceptance? After all, Logan's wife, Carrie, was a friend to me until she had an affair with Alex. Now I just pretend she is. It's easier that way. Sweet bug-eyed Carrie. She hugged me when I, confi- when I confided in her that I was always afraid to make a mistake around Alex, that I wanted him to just be nice to me, to let me be human. I felt Carrie accepted my perception of Alex as I presented it to her, that she truly empathized with me. But, no doubt, her perception of my husband changed when she spread her legs. I'm home at 2 p.m. with minutes to spare. I sit back in my chair in the living room, journal in hand, and a splash of water douses me, and suddenly I'm even more in the mood to express myself, even if it's only to a patch of paper. I write, now I don't know if I can read this because it's always small. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to read this, I'm sorry. It's just too small, and yeah, it's not going to happen. Teeth. That reminds me of a time a large woman in a smock walked up to our front porch steps, head held high and with a toothless smile, asked for her false teeth. She had lost them in the backseat of the cruiser when Alex taxied her intoxicated butt home. After that, I teasingly referred to him as the official tooth warden. Isaac, who was a toddler at the time, quizzed Alex, Daddy, why, 
Why do you have that woman's teeth? One of a string of many odd questions and even odder people Alex had experienced throughout the years. Our boys are surely receiving an education not available in public school system. The sound of a vehicle's exhaust prompts me to part the room of curtains. A familiar red-haired feller jumps out of the white van. I slip on my flip-flops and mosey down the drive. Hi, I say, extending my hand. Gary, right? He squeezes my hand. Good memory, girl, Gary says, sticking his fingers through his belt loops and yanking upward. I gotta say, it's the first time a customer's asked me <clears throat> for a service call for a water problem. I feel silly now that he is actually here. I imagine it's an unusual request, I say. We're running a, dehum a dehumidifier, but there's so much moisture, it's not helping, as you can see. I gesture toward the house, where sunlight casts an eerie appearance on the steamy windows. The center of Gary's forehead forms the shape of a V. He slams the van door and follows me into the house, empty-handed. Guess he's not sure what tools he'll need. The water sprays with so much force that it reaches the front door from clear up there. I say, ascending. Yes. Ascending the stairs and pointing to the hall ceiling. It shoots out like a hose on a jet stream. No way. Gary's eyebrows are arch high and he shakes his head. Yes way, I say, sounding like a teenager. I follow behind him up the stairs and he confesses the interior. Look, Missy, Gary says, I've done this a long time. Longer than you've been breathing. And if this was condensation, water wouldn't be spraying. It'd be dripping, you know, like it does from an uninsulated pipes attached to air conditioning units. I nod. I didn't think it was condensation, but any suggestions? We're kind of desperate. Gary looks at the drywalls and floors, then to the windows that are so steamy, they look like they're crying. Shakes his head and says, maybe a plumber? I walk outside with him, wishing the house had provided a demonstration. Gary drives off, and from the shade of a maple in the front yard, I stare at my house. Even with the water leak, I love this old place. Cera ceramic blue cherub wind chimes tinker as a welcome to the warm weather, while white rockers wearing red striped cushions splash happiness about. Grandma Lenny would say the sound of chimes means a change is coming. Hope she's right. We can't live in these soaked quarters for long. Even if the house was dry, the atmosphere here is not that conducive to my happiness, and I feel change is imminent. My gaze finds the moisture speckled windows, and for a moment, the droplets of water form a face. I blink and it's gone. Suddenly, my face and arms tingle with goosebumps, like I get when Ryan dances his tongue across my skin. The darkness takes root inside me, as if I had just glimpsed an elusive demon, like the one I saw in my mirror. I step into the sunshine, telling myself I'm under a lot of stress, and stress can make people see things. But what's the chances of seeing a face that's not really there just days after seeing flames in a microwave that is on fire. A car crunches in the gravel driveway beside me. I'm surprised to see Alex pull in with Stranahan. He usually works alone. Wonder if he's caught Barber. Alex rolls down the window and peers up at me from under his campaign hat. He looks delicious, like a Tootsie Roll and ready to be unwrapped. What's the special occasion, I ask. On our way to eat, and Stranahan's car is at the at the at the county county garage for new tires. Alex says. Stranahan leads over from the passenger side and goads me through a snuff-filled smirk. Here you got a hot date with the repair guy. Alex just not doing it for you. Yep, and his most amazing tool was 
What's in his jeans? I say, playing along. Alex rolls his eyes. You know? No, really, I say, not wanting to give him a reason to think I'm really messing around on him. The heating guy didn't know what to say about. Listen, Sav, we gotta get going. I stopped. Alex says. The heating guy, Mr. Robinson, didn't have a clue about what's going on with the water leak. I say, raising my chin and looking past Alex to Stranahan for acknowledgement that my mouth is actually moving and words are coming out. Alex's cohort spits tobacco in an empty Coke bottle. I'll have to check this water thing out for myself before I go on the force. Before I got on the force, I was a contractor. I'll take you up on that, I say. A deputy, a plumber, I don't care who stops the waterworks show. Alex squeezes the steering wheel and locks his eyebrows. I'm trying to tell you something. You need to pack up and take the boys to your dad's until we round up Barber. I anchor my hand and my hip feeling like a scolded child. His rudeness burns my gut. I try to swallow, but my throat feels like I'm trying to cough up a camel. I'm madder at Alex for embarrassing me in front of Stranahan than I am curious about what he's saying. BCI will be here in an hour to install cameras, he continues. I'll have Pete pull his cruiser around back. Make sure you get the boys out of here safe. Alex motions to, Stran to Stranahan, who radios dispatch and requests Pete to public service him. This must be bad if Stranahan is not broadcasting it on the radio. My legs are so rigid my kneecaps feel like they're going to explode. I pucker my lips, ready to refuse to be run off my own, run out of my own home. But some by my some tattoo Jesse James wannabe. When Alex's eyes deadlock mine, savvy. Barbara's threats were verified as substantial enough to warrant the precautions. Wow, Alex sounds so official. I grind my hand against my hip, wanting to bulk against the preponderance of being the victim. We have two boys to protect. This is not all about you, Alex says. So for once, he sighs, can you do just what I'm asking you? I let my hand slide down my left leg and, with eyes toward the heavens, agree. All right. I just don't want this guy to think I'm scared of him. I'm not running scared from some tattooed dirt ball. Alex throws to Stratahan, who nods like he read his partner mind, and says, He'd better hope I'm not the one to get my hands on him first. It'll be the last thing he feels, my hands wrapped around his slimy neck. I know he means it. The judges in the county pay scanning attention to a defendant's depiction of officers who shot confessions from interviewers handcuffed to bed posts and bed frames and who have special black gloves that hurt like hell but don't leave marks. There is no proof, of course, of this form of data of extraction that, according to Alex, is necessary for the safety of all the good people in Lincoln County. Alex knows which officers he can entrust with his alternative interview protocol and which ones would tattle on his unorthodox behavior. He removes the wussies, the lazies, and the politically correct ones from his coveted list, leaving a handful that comprise a sacred guild of secrecy. Sharing illicit methods with his trusted crew seems to provide a relief to Alex. The camaraderie and his measure of normalcy, his guide for setting limits and for breaking them. Keep giving me hearts. Keep tapping that screen. Keep tapping that screen. Keep giving me some hearts and some thumbs up over there. Facebook and, and uh, Twitter and uh, YouTube. And on TikTok, keep tapping the screen. Keep tapping that screen. A cruiser turns into the neighborhood, the neighbor's driveway, leading to our three-car garage. Pete waves and positions his cruiser on a concrete pad where Alex's cruiser was parked when Barbara set fire to it. Okay, I'll pack up. 
I lean in the open window and pet and, and peck my man and, and greet on the cheek, keeping my face close to his until he pecks me back. It's us against the forces of evil. The danger is real, and I prefer us united in peril than separated in love. As Alex pulls off, I think of all the crazy criminal stories I could write about. If I added the wicked web immunity among lawmen and a demon in my mirror, I just might have a bestseller. Pete, the one city officer Alex would trust for this duty, walks toward me with his flirty smile as he turns down the volume of the radio clip to his belt. Hey, Savvy. Man, you have, you all have quite the hopping place here. Yep, no rest for the wicked, they say. I twist my hair and try to remember if it was Isaiah or Job that said that. I can't. But I know it's in the Bible somewhere. And I wonder how much I have to suffer before I find peace. You going to catch Barbara so I can come home? Do my best, Pete says with a salute at the tip of his hat. Darn, he's cute. Deep blue eyes straight from the Atlantic. Rings of dark curls tied on his head. His department per permits haircuts other than the buzz. And the lax standard makes Alex cringe. When the boys get back from school, they'll want to know why you're here. I'm just telling them that, that you're waiting on Alex for a special detail. They don't need to know about this barber's lunatic. The man with the gold shield wins and says, gotcha. I place my hand on the side door, thinking of Pete snapping a pair of cuffs on me in his back seat. Oh, I think of Pete, sorry, thinking of Pete snapping a pair of cuffs on me in his back seat gives me the sensation of a hive of honeybees buzzing in my belly, but it would send Alex over the edge. Messing around with another officer is off limits more than an active crime scene. And that's not a line I want to cross. I need to get away from him before I say something flirty. I have to pack. If you need anything, just help yourself. I rush upstairs, grabbing my journal from my chair in the living room on the way, my mind racing with the events of the last few days. Inexplicable water leak, possible murder, disturbed students, my marriage. I hate when it does this. Okay, hang on. Where'd it go? Oh, boy. I lost my mouse on that side. Hang on. It's up there. Why does it keep disappearing? There it is. My marriage sinking as Ryan anchors his hands to my butt, and now a dirt bag threatening my family. Tossing my journal into the duffel bag first, I scan my closet for an outfit, but in my hurry, my eyes won't stay focused. The colors and materials of all the clothes appear fuzzy, so I sling in a few shirts and pants, not caring if they match, then pack ample clothes to last the boys a few days. I can always have Dad pick up more, but the boys will be home from school soon and I'll need to have the car packed and ready to head straight away to Dad's. Dad, he doesn't know we're coming. I place the bags in the kitchen and dial him up. When I tell him the boys that I need to stay with him because of the water leak, he says, Savvy, in such a way I know that he knows there's more to the story. His detective skills are as sharp as they were when he was on the force. I tell him I'll fill him in when I get there, and that, what, and, and that we might stay more than one night, so I hope he's stocked up on food, especially Ben's coffee. Compared to the caffeine-laden energy drinks Ben's buddies drink, the cacao bean, the cacao bean, seems a decent trade-off. I figure if I ferment a few vices, he won't rebel, like me. Slinking into my recliner in the living room, I peer out back where Pete is parked and call Mandy, my best friend, since before I, I needed to wear a bra. If I texted her anything, 
I need to say my fingers would be spastic, like my brain feels. Her move to the town hours away was tough on me, but our friendship isn't hampered by mere distance. The miles are elastic, stretching our friendship across the way when needed. Manny enters a sacred space in my confidences, one that not many others are welcome to. You're not going to believe this, I say, when I hear her exuberant voice. I'm not sure I even do. I proceed to relate the cacophony of the past week to Mandy, who says she's sure Alex will capture Barber and the water leak will be fixed soon. But, Mandy says, Alex will always be Alex and expect you to be his little Wonder Woman, to leap ladders and hold drywall in a single bound. You're probably right. He won't change. I just don't know how much more I can take. It's the worst it's ever been between us. I roll my foot from side to side on the footstool. I even stared started seeing Ryan again, and I was doing so good. What? Girl, are you serious, Ryan? Maddie says, you know Alex will be angry if he finds out. It almost broke your marriage up when you came clean last time. I saw Ryan on Facebook hanging a woman at the hospital fundraiser. She works at the hospital with him. I pressed the wrinkles out of my forehead. I don't want to think about another woman on Ryan's arm. I know Alex will be mad. I do. It's just... Mandy, I can't stop myself. He he makes me feel wanted. But it's just like when I used to go shopping to make myself happy. I picture my arms dripping with red bags embossed with the signature huge white star I love. Full Macy's bags don't didn't my barren heart fill. We both snort out uh, snort out a laugh. Hey, that's pretty good. A journal worthy for sure. And journal worthy for sure. You ready again? Yeah, it helps to put the words to my feelings, but I can't keep living this way. I don't like myself anymore. At least Ryan listens to me. I mean, it's not like I'm in love with him, but I enjoy his company, you know? Oh, Savvy, I know Alex has hurt you, and you deserve to be happy. He sure enjoyed his share of poontang, Maddie says. I laugh. I haven't heard that word in years. Whoever thought of that word anyway, poontang. The sound of brakes hissing alerts me to the arrival of the school bus. Mandy, gotta go. Boys are here. Okay, we're gonna stop there. Um, let me get back on screen over here at StreamYard. Okay, we're gonna stop there, everybody. Thank you for coming. It's Sunday night, as you know. Thank you, TikTok, for coming. I appreciate everyone, you know, anyone that was that stuck with us to hear this. I know, I know you guys kind of like shorter things, but uh, this is what, like I said, this is what we do every Sunday. We read from a paranormal themed book, and this is based on a true story written by. Um, the woman that experienced it. So it's kind of cool. Okay. Um, I want to remind everybody is I'm teaching a, a, uh, uh, psychic protection class, uh, to where you uh, can learn to protect yourself, your home, your property, your pets. That's going to be on May, Saturday, May 6th at 7 PM Pacific. And the cost for that is $15. It's going to be a very thorough class on, on protection. So if anybody over on TikTok land or, you know, my, the other places I broadcast would like to attend that. You have to go over the California Haunts Meetup. Type in California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team Meetup, and that'll pop up. And the information for that class is over there. And it's going to be at least a two-hour class. I'm very. I've done a lot of research. Very thorough. And I've also, for the people that don't know me on TikTok or know me out in broadcast world, I've been a paranormal investigator for almost 25 years. So I've got a lot of experience with this stuff. So, um, yeah. It's, 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 going to be, it's going to be a good class, so do check it out, okay? 
And that's over at the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation, yeah, Paranormal Investigation Team TikTok. I want to thank everybody for coming. Tomorrow's guest is going to be Ralph Ellis, and he's going to be talking about the legend of King Arthur. That'll be at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. So I will see you tomorrow, and thank you all for coming, and I just totally appreciate it. Let me release TikTok here. Push the button. Go. See you guys on TikTok. Okay. All right. I'm out of here, and uh, hope you have a great rest of your weekend, and... See you tomorrow.